Welcome to Podcasting Stories, insights and interviews from people just like you, using podcasts to grow their business and share their message. Podcasting Stories is brought to you by your podcast team, where having your own podcast is as easy as being a guest on ours. Find out more at yourpodcast.team. Now, here's your host, Dave Spray. My guest today on Podcasting Stories is Rhonda Ross. Rhonda is a realtor here in Houston who uh, just a few months ago launched her own real estate firm, and she already has a total of five agents. Uh, Rhonda is really dynamic, and uh, I believe she's in her mid-30s, but she has uh, the wisdom of somebody much older and who has been in the business much longer. We talked about why uh, she is very selective with the agents that she hires. We talk about her absolute commitment to serving her clients and her agents. Uh, we also talked about how she might use the podcast to amplify her current message. We also drilled into the scorecard and uh, the podcast scorecard to see uh, in what ways the podcast could amplify her message. I hope you enjoy this wide-ranging interview uh, as much as I did. Hi, my name is David Spray, and I'm the host of Podcasting Stories. Today on the show, my guest is Rhonda Ross. Rhonda's a realtor right here in Houston and started her own firm, the Texas Living Company, last year. Rhonda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, David. Well, I am excited to uh, to have you on and, and kind of hear your story. Um, so let's get the, right to it. Uh, uh, how did you get into the real estate business and uh, about how long ago is that? So I got into real estate um, after I did oil and gas. Um, I initially started doing real estate classes in college when I went to Texas State Living Company or Texas Living or Texas State University. Obviously, I haven't had my full coffee yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I uh, loved the classes then. I held my license in active um, and didn't really activate it until after I graduated. So went to school for a little bit to be an architect. Um, Unfortunately, that program was pulled from the university and so it's kind of a full circle. Oh, wow. But it still sounds, though, like you've always been interested in residential real estate, either from the architecture side, design, or the uh, you know, helping people find their, their dream home. Absolutely, as well as marketing. So my background, I actually have a degree in marketing, too. So that it all kind of goes together. Okay. And I actually know uh, Texas State really well. I grew up uh, about... 25 miles from uh, San Marcos, Texas, in a town called Seguin. And uh, as a a high school kid, uh, and so there's a couple rivers in central Texas that are popular to float. (laughs) One of them is by New Braunfels, and that's the one that's most common. But there's also a river that in San Marcos that goes, I believe, right next to the Southwest Texas camp, or at that time it was called Southwest Texas, the Texas State Campus. And uh, uh, as a high school uh, kid, uh, going up and floating the river and being in proximity of uh, of these older, more sophisticated uh, college coeds was uh, was quite the uh, the enjoyable experience for a for a high school <laughs> guy. So I have very fond memories of uh, Texas State University. So uh, what led you to start your firm, uh, Texas Living Company? 
So a couple of things, actually. So whenever I decided to become a realtor at the very beginning, my goal and um, my plan and intention really and truly was to open up my own brokerage. I've always been very driven to own my own business, whatever that would be. Um, I want to uh, strive to get as far up as possible within whatever industry that I do. Um, I also have worked at as, as a realtor before I became a broker at multiple brokerages, and I loved helping other agents become successful, um, helping them answer questions about contracts, taking trainings, um, showing them how I do marketing to help them become successful as well. Um, a couple of agents came up to me and said, have you ever thought about opening up your own brokerage as well as good friends around me as well? And it's been on my mind. I just didn't take the step to do it. And um, a couple of clients approached me and said, I think you should. And uh, after that, many people have come up to say something to me. I decided, you know what, if everyone around me thinks I should, then I should definitely do this. And so I um, took a small break, studied, uh, took my test and put the business together in September of 2020. And um, the rest of history, we're doing great. So I'm very happy I did it. I honestly wish I would have done it sooner. So learning lesson is listen to those around you. They truly want to see you be successful and um, see you do great things. Uh, I love uh, I love entrepreneurial stories, and I really love hearing the start of the journey. And so it's fun to talk to somebody who that entrepreneurial step uh, just happened uh, just a few months ago. We're recording in April of 2021. And uh, so that's that's great. So you got started. And have you had the opportunity to uh, recruit any other agents or is it just uh, you so far? Yeah, so we do. We have four other agents at our brokerage. Oh, wow. Um, already. You have four already. Yes. Um, and we have a few more coming on. They just, uh, they're in the middle of some different transitions. It's a transition to move over. Um, so it's been great. Um, I'm very particular. <laughs> I probably would have more. Um, but I really want the Texas Living Company brand to, um, be a little bit different than some of the other brokerages. I really want to be particular about who comes over. Culture is a huge thing within my brokerage. I want everyone to um, work together, help each other, put the customer before the commission, which is a huge thing for me because you really can see a difference in customer service um, when those things are happening. That, that makes, that makes sense. And um, because I know the, you know, the industry, uh, uh, you know, people who are maybe a bit cynical would say that the in industry, that the agents are really just about getting listings and getting closings and not about trying to uh, maximize the value for the customer, either on the buy side or the sell side, or uh, to, to really, you know, kind of focus what's in the customer's best interest long-term that there seems to be this transaction focus. Is that what you're speaking about is sort of that perception or is there uh, something else uh, beyond that? I mean, absolutely. And I can absolutely say, and it's embarrassing to say that that is the case for most agents. And I think there's a, you know, it's very, um, it's very hard to find good agents that really are putting the customer first from before you're helping them while you're helping them to years afterwards. And something that I strive for for myself and I also push all of my agents to do is be the agent for them for life. 
So anytime there's a question, concern, or anything after the transaction, be there for them. Um, most of our clients become good friends because you spend mm. so much time with them. Um, and you get to learn a lot about everyone that you work with. Uh, a lot of them I could call up right now and say, hey, I need help with something. And they would be there for me in an instant. And I think it's because they know that I would do the same for them. Um, so there's a lot of that uh, for sure. Yeah, I can. That's that is really great to to hear. And I'm curious, what are the stats? How many uh, residential real estate transactions does like the average person or the person in your target market do in their lifetime? It so that is so varied. <laughs> um, as far as that stat, it really depends on area. It depends on if they have kids or not. It depends mm-hmm. on travel. There's so many different variations. Okay. Um, it's really what about a typical? Yeah. So just like what would be a typical? So I know for for me, I'm 56 years old and I've bought let's see one, two, three, four houses and I've sold two. And um, so is that kind of typical uh, sort of activity by the time a person's in their 50s or? Um, so n- now, no. So a lot of the younger generations, I would say in their 30s are probably on, in some cases, or at least what I'm seeing with my clients, especially too, they're on their third house or second house. And then okay. people in their 40s are usually on their third or fourth. And a lot of our clients in their 40s and 50s not only have bought multiple houses with us, they all, we also refer them and work with other agents in other cities and have a second home. Um, so there's a lot of different transactions going in different directions. So I think what you're telling me is we need to, to buy and sell a couple more homes to get to kind of <laughs> caught up to where we, we should have, where we should be. And I'd say I can relate. We bought a second home in Colorado uh, five years ago, and I wish I had uh, known you then because what I did was we just found a house on Zillow. We we uh, went under contract without even seeing it, and then we flew out during the option period. But we just used the agent that was representing the seller, uh, and they just did a, I can't think of the term of it, where they represented both of us. And uh, what's the term for that? So they call it dual agency. Okay. Yeah. In Colorado, they have a little different term. I don't remember what it is. I think every state has different terms. Sure. And now we were fortunate because it actually worked out great. And the experience was actually really good. And it was actually really productive because the negotiation, you know, didn't have to go through another intermediary. And, uh, And because it was the one agent I convinced uh, because that agent was only expecting to make 3% and they ended up making six, I ended up, uh, they thought it was a great idea to, to uh, knock, uh, I think a couple percentage points off the purchase price that, you know, they absorbed. So it actually worked out great, but it certainly wouldn't be the way I would do it again. I would, I would definitely want a referral. Uh, so, uh, what, uh, how frequently does that happen where you're helping somebody, uh, find an agent in another city? So we probably, I mean, it's every month. Um, we okay. actually just had a friend and client move to uh, New Orleans last month, and we found her a great agent. And it was kind of the same situation where we connected her with um, this agent, and the agent did FaceTime through all the houses. And that way, she didn't actually have to physically be there. And um, 
narrowed it down to two houses. She took a red eye from California to New Orleans, saw both houses, fell in love with one, had it closed within 30 days. Um, so we have a lot of that. Um, I've actually done small business relocations and I'll fly out to the business, meet the individuals that will be moving into the Houston area, explain to them the different communities as well. Um, and what is best for them and their family and what is within a certain distance of where their new office is going to be. Just really try to get them acquainted with the city as much as I possibly can without them not actually seeing it. Um, and then whenever they fly into Houston, we go pick them up from the airport, take them to their hotel, just get them settled and then start taking them out to look at houses. Um, just make, you know, give them the Houston welcome. Um, all of us in Houston are very friendly and we love having different people come and visit and people moving in town. And it's just really about the service and the, you know, trying to do whatever we can to make it as least stressful as possible. Cause moving to a new city is very challenging, especially when you have a family. Sure. Well, that I must say, I have never heard of a realtor doing that before. I mean, talk about really going above and beyond in, in focusing on now, it's funny, I know small businesses have relocated mostly from Louisiana to Houston, so I can understand the need for it, but I've never talked to a realtor who actually identified that need and decided to fill it. So uh, my compliments to you, that's very uh, innovative and, and I bet you it's really well received. Yes, we've been very lucky. We've moved um, people from California, Tennessee, Louisiana, um, and they're usually businesses of around 20 people, sometimes up to 40. Um, so yeah, it just, it makes it a smooth transition. It's easier to me. It's as a partnership with the, with the company. They want to keep their employees. It's so much easier to keep employees than of course to hire new employees. And so I see it as a partnership of let, let us help you keep your employees by making them feel comfortable in their new city. Um, it, I just think that it's something that we can provide and add. Yeah, that's uh, again, that's that just sounds uh, that sounds great. Um, I want to kind of go back to something we we're talking about earlier as far as the uh, that you're kind of particular on the agents you hire. So I'm imagining that there's a trade off, I bet. Right. Because on the one hand, if you get a brand new agent, you sort of can mold them to 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 fit the culture. But on the other hand, a brand new agent. Uh, there's probably some ramp up time and, and perhaps, uh, you know, they may not have the financial security as a uh, experienced, successful agent. Are those assumptions right? Or could you talk a bit more yeah. about how you decide that? Yeah. So right now with uh, Texas Living Company being such a young company, we um, are really more focused on recruiting agents with experience and history. And the okay. reason is we do have a lot of resources, but we don't have a lot of resources for newer agents. They really need a lot more one-on-one, -on -one, hands-on time. Um, something that I provide agents that already have um, a clientele or referral list or however you want to put it, is if they don't know some, a certain part of the industry, they always have an agent in the office of which they can shadow, ask questions for, that we do have training. We actually have a third-party trainer that comes in and trains the agents uh, once a month. Um, so we have all that. It's just it's so different with a brand-new agent because a lot of the perception of becoming a realtor is that you go out there, you all of a sudden have all these clients, you're all of a sudden driving a luxury car and... <laughs> You right. are closing million dollar deals. And it's 
it's interesting. And so, um, but that's how it works on TV. So, I mean, that's not how it is. (laughs) Okay. So, So for us and for the way that I have Texas Living Company set up at this moment, um, we really just focus on agents that have been in the industry for at least two to three years because they have a true understanding of exactly what to expect, right? So you're going to have your highs yeah. and lows in most cases. You're going to have to work hard. You're going to have to work long hours. You're going to have to work weekends. It's really um, how organized you are, how good you are at time management, and how much you're willing to work is going to be how successful you are. And so we've already overcome that obstacle because uh, so 90% of the agents or 10% of the agents make 90% of the money in the Houston, Texas area. Mm-hmm. And so I've heard that. Yes. And so it's just one of those things you kind of overcome that. Um, Cause if they've been in the industry for two to three years, then they've made it past that, hur- that hurdle. Yeah, that makes sense. And I imagine that the attrition rate is, is, uh, is material as well. I imagine some significant number of agents uh, three years after they start that it's not uh, their primary income source. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. So other than having at least two to three years of experience, what are the other attributes uh, that you look for? I know you'd mentioned a cultural fit. Uh, are you able to define that any further? And then the follow-up question is, if an agent is listening to this who does have two to three years experience, what are some of the signs that they should call you? Like, so, like what are some of the signs in their, in their current relationship that means that you might be a good fit? So one of the things that's really funny, it's actually kind of weird for me to talk about it. Usually I have my, my agents talk about it. So whenever I talk to an agent who's a perspective coming on, if I feel like they might be a great choice, what I actually do is I provide them the phone numbers of the agents in the office. And okay. I tell them that they should actually call those agents, A, to see how they all mesh well together. And then that agent can truly tell them the experience that they have at the brokerage. I can talk to anyone and say, this is what it's going to be like. But as a broker, it's very, I'm on, a, I'm on the other side. It's very hard for me to truly say what it's going to be like when I'm not an agent there. Sure. Um, so I talked to, I, that's why I think the best people for them to talk to are going to be the agents that are currently in house. Um, that, and they can tell them this sense. is what she provides. This is what she provides. This is her communication. Um, cause you know, we're all guilty of it. We all think that we communicate well, and sometimes we don't, we all think that we provide this, but sometimes we don't. Um, so really and truly that has helped me in the case of the agents that I really want to bring on board. Um, and then that way they can see that we are a team. Um, we work as a team, even though we're not a team, um, we're individual agents, but we still work together to support each other and help each other, um, in that way. Okay, that makes sense. And then, and then I guess there's also perceived greater ob- objectivity. I mean, probably both perceived and actual by talking to the other agents, right? Because you, of course, have a certain uh, inherent bias uh, and preference exactly. for your firm. So I guess that objectivity is uh, is useful. Okay, so that's that's good. And then what are so what are like the signs that if a experienced agent is listening, the signs that they like should give you a call? Because I just don't, I don't know the business. I mean, obviously one is like, like if they're, if they're, uh, uh, what's the term of the person that the agent, uh, uh, I guess works for? Is it 
the, the broker. The broker. Okay. Yeah. So, so one is like if the broker like doesn't pay them their commissions timely, right? Like that would probably be one red flag to find somebody else. But what are some other like uh, pain points that should make somebody think to call you? So the number one thing that I see everywhere, because I'm actually part of a broker group, is agents not having access to their broker. When they have a contract question, they're having issues with the client, have a client question, have a lead generation question, any kind of question that affects their business and could possibly affect their brokerage. And a um, an everyday standpoint, as well as a legal standpoint, they don't seem to be able to have access or the ability to get in contact with their broker. And okay. Anyone who works with me knows that I answer my phone usually from about 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. Because real estate happens at all times of the day. It just is what it is. Um, I'm always there for my agents in any way that I can. I've jumped into transactions. I've gone to meetings with them to help them secure clients, maybe because they didn't have the experience that I did. And we can use my experience to help them grow their experience. And those things to me go a long way. And that's something that I felt like I was missing at a lot of the brokerages that I had. I felt like I was just a number as an agent. And here, mm. I actually meet a lot with my agents one-on-one. I have one that's trying to really grow into a new sector of real estate. And I meet with her. Her and I have one-on-one meetings outside of the brokerage. So we can really put a plan together. We have put a plan together. And she's working on it. And we're seeing it work successfully. Um, and I think that's important because we can all learn from each other. Um, but sometimes people just need a little one-on-one attention. And um, mm-hmm. I think it's really important to have access to your broker, especially when it comes to contract questions. Okay. Any uh, Anything else that might uh, be a sign that they should give you a call? Um, <laughs> it's one of those things that's so, it's, you know, you don't want to bash other brokerage. <laughs> okay. Fair, fair so, enough. I'm like, uh, I mean, that's... Okay. How about access? <laughs> okay. Let's just leave it. Let's just leave it as the, as the access. So that, that's, that, that is fine. Um, so what about, so that, that kind of gives me a sense of who you're looking for in a, in a broker is somebody who would value, uh, more, uh, uh, availability from their broker or or an agent that would, that would appreciate more availability who has at least two to three years of experience and has some, uh, attraction to the culture that you've, you've built. Uh, now, now let's turn it to the actual, uh, your actual customers, the buyers, the, and the sellers. What are, um, what are the, uh, like characteristics of a ideal client for you? I mean, is it really just as simple as they're looking to buy or sell a home or are there other aspects that you, um, that you 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 put value on uh, above and beyond that, and I guess the follow up question is: Have you ever turned down an opportunity because it didn't seem like the right fit, or the uh, their expectations weren't consistent with what you thought you could deliver? I know that's a lot of questions at once, so do your yeah. best. Um, so, as far as buyers and sellers are buyers, um, yes, yeah, for the most part, it's as long as you know. 
they're ready to buy, right? So one of the main things I have all my buyers do are get pre-approved prior to us spending time. To me, um, I'm investing time into my client. My I want my client to, how you truly know if a buyer is very serious about buying is if they're willing to get pre-approved prior to looking at homes. Um, and there's multiple reasons sense. why multiple reasons why I do that. A, if they invest that little bit of time into doing it, then I know that they're serious. B, we know what they actually truly can afford. Um, C, in a market like this where it is so fast-paced, uh, we have to be completely ready. Otherwise, they're going to lose out on a house. Um, mm. So for that, that is a big thing for me. Um, have I decided to step away from a client because it wasn't a good fit? Absolutely. Um, in those cases, if I have an agent in mind that I know would be a great fit for that client, I will actually connect that client to that agent. If I don't, I will be very honest with them. And sometimes it's just personality. Um, okay. Uh, sometimes it's just location. I've had a client say, hey, I was referred to you, but I'm going to be moving out to this location. And I'm very honest and say, that's not my location of expertise. I'm not the correct agent for you. Um, in, in that case, it, it does happen. Um, but I've only had the personality thing once. Um, okay. I usually get along with pretty much everybody. And then sometimes people are just not ready yet. They think they're ready. Once they start looking, they get cold feet. It happens, especially with first time home buyers. It's a huge step. Um, and it's something that, you know, they get nervous about and I get it. So I always let them know, you know, I'm here for you when you're ready. Um, and if you have questions between now and when you're ready, that's, you know, I'm here for you for that as well. Okay. That I, I, I understand all of that and that all makes sense. Um, so what aspects of the business, I think I may know the answer to this, but let me ask you anyway. So what aspects of the business give you the most energy or do you, you kind of most, most enjoy? Um, so for me, it is really just helping the customer. I love actually yesterday was an awesome day. I took my clients. We finally were able to see the house that they're buying and watching them run into the house and the wife screaming <laughs> with excitement was the best feeling in the world. Um, it's one of those things. It's just those things are fun. Watching kid, their kids grow up. Um in these houses and I keep in touch with it, almost every single client of mine. And sometimes it's hard and it's challenging. Thank goodness for social media. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but it's exciting to see people so happy and, and watching them, their families grow and them grow in their house. To me, that is worth everything. Um, for me, I, I love that. Yeah, I, I, I can tell and I hear the, uh, uh, and, and I can hear the, the the passion in your voice for that. And it also sounds like, a, based on an earlier question, that another thing that, that you also really enjoy is the uh, helping your agents. Is that right? Yeah, yeah you, I love you know, it. Training, mentoring, assisting, uh, being a sounding board. Yes, that is that is my number one job for them. Absolutely. And I love it. Okay. Well, before we kind of switch gears and talk about podcasting, is there anything about uh, your background, uh, your business uh, that I didn't ask you about that you think needs to be mentioned? I think I think we have most of it covered. Okay, that's excellent. Okay, well, let's now turn to uh, from kind of your passion to uh, to my passion, podcasting. Perfect. 
So I understand that you are considering uh, starting a podcast. Is that right? That is correct. So tell me, uh, uh, tell me what are the reasons that you think, well, I guess before we get to that, why don't we first take a step back and talk a, a bit about kind of your current marketing strategy and activities and, uh, and, and systems that you're currently using to reach uh, your market. And then let's talk about how you think a podcast may uh, amplify on that. So I've been using, um, we have a CRM in our, in our office which is a great way to connect, continually touch and connect with clients and prospects. I do a lot of social media marketing um, across various different boards. Um, we are, do video marketing as well. But a lot of our leads from most all the agents in-house as well as my own are actually from referral, word of mouth. Word of mouth okay. is huge for us. Okay, I, I can understand that. Are you there, Rhonda? Yeah. Okay. For some reason, I thought it, it dropped. So, word of mouth has been has been um, has been the, the the main thing. And so, what what act, uh, activities do you all engage in to uh, encourage those uh, referrals to to happen? So, the number one thing that you can do in any industry that you're in is provide good customer service um, from beginning to end and afterwards. Uh, I keep in touch with all my past clients, whether that be social media or personal text messages or going and having lunch or doing a brunch or doing a customer appreciation event. I mean, we can go on and on and on. So it really just is about putting the client first and just making sure you, um, you know, know what's going on with them, uh, sending birthday cards, anniversary cards, um, you know, happy anniversary in your new home cards, holiday cards. I mean, there's just so many different ways to do that. Um, just to say top of mind and let them know that you're thinking of them and um, appreciate them. I'll send a random text to a client just saying, hey, I'm thinking about you. I hope you love your house today. Um, and it's just out of nowhere because they really just came across my mind. That's that's awesome. And so it's really just uh, kind of the basics, uh, doing exactly. a, a great job to begin with and then stay in touch and uh and in you know in both a systematic and a ad hoc fashion it sounds like you know that you're sending birthday cards on a systematic basis i'm imagining but then just yeah. on an ad hoc basis as you you know something makes you think of one of your your customers yeah so okay well that that uh, that makes sense and 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 that really resonates with me that's exactly how i've built uh, you know, my various businesses is from that, you know, that, that one-to-one -one relationship and then the, um, the referrals from that. So I can appreciate that. So it sounds like you're doing a lot of things, uh, uh, pretty successfully already. So how, how would you imagine that a podcast could help amplify some of those other initiatives? So it's interesting I had a conversation with someone who has recently started a podcast and it's, you know, it kind of came to mind that we do video, which is visually appealing and podcasts are becoming, you know, verbally appealing, right? So people are in their, mm -hmm. a lot of times in their cars, um, working out now and different things like that, but they're still wanting to learn and listen and hear what's going on. And um, that's where I think it would happen. I think there's a lot of 
misconceptions in real estate. I think there's a lot of knowledge out there that can be shared with the public. Um, and that should be shared with the public. And I think I would love to do, you know, help them with that. One of the things that I really want to do is I love local business. And um, it's sad that we only, you know, highlight and spotlight local business on most cases, you know, one Saturday of the year. Right. You know, support small business. And what I really have been doing and have already been working on is the video series to support a local business every single month. And we're about to actually launch that small business series. Um, and I think partnering it with a podcast would be fantastic. Actually sitting down and talking with the business owner about, you know, how did you get started? What made you get started? The history of the business mm-hmm. and then doing the video, which we've already done as in at their location, whether that be the restaurant or one of the boutiques that we went to or um, one of the garden stores or whatever it may be. So you're getting to see what they actually provide and do. But then you're also getting to hear the background of how they got there and why they did it. And to me, that is what's going to make the consumer really relate to that business is the background. Yeah, that that makes sense. And it sounds like if what I hear you say is that the videos, the final produced video would perhaps be shorter than the length of the podcast because the podcast lends itself to sort of longer form content consumption. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, so the videos, all the videos that we've done so far are about two minutes and 50 seconds. And it's literally mm-hmm. just quick clips, quick questions, just, you know, highlighting the product, the service, um, and showing what they have. And then the podcast would be a little longer. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Yeah, I read an interesting stat. I, I, I should have noted where I read it, but that the average YouTube video watcher watches for less than a minute. But the average podcast listener is their engagement is like ten to fifteen minutes. It's some you know astronomically higher multiple, and it sounds like what your strategy is is kind of consistent with that to have the videos be shorter because it requires you know complete uh, engagement of of really all of the senses, but the audio only aspect of the podcast allows for sort of longer form content. Does that sound about right? Yes, absolutely. And you're also, I think, getting two different target markets just because, you know, someone watches video doesn't mean they're going to listen to podcasts and someone who listens to podcasts might not like watching videos. So it's helping benefit the business in, in multiple ways. We're reaching possibly different audiences that they might not have reached otherwise. No, it, it, it makes sense. And I agree with your, your strategy. So what I'd like to do now is, so we actually have an assessment. We call it a scorecard. And uh, it actually can be found at www.yourpodcastscore.com. And I appreciate you taking the time to fill it out. You know, much like you ask your potential customers to uh, to be pre-qualified. Um, in an ideal world, our potential clients and customers would uh, complete the scorecard for some of the same reasons. One, just to you know, see how serious they are. And other, to just be able to see how good of a fit it is. And so there's actually eight questions I would encourage your listeners to go take a look at it. It only takes about five minutes. But there's eight questions. What I'd like to do is just drill down into a few of them uh, and just kind of get your your thoughts on them because I think it will uh, impact your strategy. And so the first question is around how much you enjoy interacting with people. And so to give you an, uh, 
listener an example. On the one extreme, on the one scale, uh, the uh, the statement is, I don't like talking with people. So I suppose somebody in your business, if they don't like to talk to people, they're probably going to have some challenges. But on the other on the other end, the the statement is, I enjoy talking with people one to one, understanding more about their situation and helping them better understand my subject. In the in it's a one to twelve scale, and you answered that one uh, a twelve. And from our time uh, on uh, prior calls and today, I, that certainly makes sense. It it seems like you really uh, are energized by by talking to people. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. So then going up the list, the next one that people consider when they're having a podcast is, do they even have anyone to invite? Which, by the way, some people do podcasts just as monologues. My preference is I prefer interviews, both as a listener and as a producer of episodes. So to me, having a guest is just sort of assumed. Uh, but the one end of the scale is, is boy, I don't know who I would even invite to be a guest on a podcast. And the other extreme is... I can think of at least 12 people who would immediately say yes. And the reason we have 12 is we recommend that most of our, our clients start with only one episode a month. And then if they find that they're able to produce more frequently than that, they can always bump it up. But it's better to start with, with 12. The other reason is that, interestingly enough, uh, the vast majority of the podcasts out there have not cracked the 10 uh, episode uh, ceiling. Uh, I'd say the average for folks who don't break the 10 episode barrier is like three or four episodes. So the other reason is that we, we'd like going in for our clients to have a sense of who their first 10 guests are going to be. So for that one, your answer was the, the top of the, the charts. It was 12. So how many people do you think you probably uh, would have? It sounds like it's a lot more than 12. Is it dozens, uh, hundreds? Um, probably dozens. So we have already, um, we've already talked to lenders, title companies. Uh, we've already had set up interviews for the small businesses, over 23 of them. Um, so if I'm doing a partnership with a video in this small business, that's already 23. Um, okay. Moving companies, um, different places around Houston, different people within the real estate industry as well. Of course, I would love to interview all the agents in my office. That's another way for them to, um, get out there and, and meet more buyers and sellers and potential clients and, um, all of that. So, yeah. That that's that's great because that's a uh, you'd you'd be surprised. There's a lot of people we've spoken to, and they really are kind of a fit on everything except for that, and uh, and and so it's hard to encourage them to move forward when they don't really know who they're going to have as a, have as a guest. So the last one I want to talk to or speak to is the question about uh, your audience. In this one here, you answered a little lower, but your goal was to be higher. So the, mm -hmm. the low answer is I'm unknown in the industry and community. The high uh, level statement is I'm known in the industry community and I'm peri peri periodically quoted or asked to speak at industry events. But the one you identified was the statement I have been in the industry community for some time, but haven't built up an audience. But you're at the top end of that scale. So you're kind of on the cusp between that one and the next one up, which is I'm known in the industry and community. And so you gave yourself a score of a six there. 
in your comment was that you know you've been in the business for a while and you've built it on referrals rather than marketing um so uh but it sounds like your goal would be a 12. So do you want to just talk about that question and how you think a podcast may help you move from a six to a 12? Um, it's just another way for me to, I guess, be out, out in the public. And one of the things that has not been my strong point is uh, being out in the public. I'm very much a behind the scenes, put my nose down and grind work. Mm -hmm. um, I think a podcast is a great step. Um, to get out there, especially for people like me, who I am super nervous to be in photos and videos. So um, if you go to my social media, you'll see it's actually about houses. It's not really about me. <laughs> okay. Um, so I think it's a way that I can get and put myself out there, but not necessarily, um, you know, it's, it's a little, it's just a different way. I don't know how else to say it, but um, I think it's for people, I'm an introverted extrovert. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's a way for me to kind of, you know, be behind the scenes, but also be out there at the same time. No, that, that makes sense. I can relate. And, and what I think I, I heard you say was that, that there's just one of you and you're available to your agent 6am to, you know, 11pm every day. And so you're really trying to have a way to replicate your connection with people uh, and since there's only so many hours in a day, and mm -hmm. so you've looked at other platforms and ways to uh, to amplify that message, and that the podcast would be another way for you to to be able to uh, connect with folks on a and a with with greater scale than just one on one meetings. Does that sound about right? Absolutely. Okay. Well, wow! I can't believe how the time has uh, has flown by. Um, if people want to learn more about your firm or reach out to you, uh, what's the best way to do so? So um, we have a website, TexasLiving.com. We also have social media across uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. It's at Texas Living Company. Um, for me directly, anyone can email me directly. I respond to everybody. It's RondaRossRealty at gmail.com. Um, I have people email me all the time and I do everything I can to respond to every single person. So, um, feel free to reach out to me through social media, email, or through the website. Okay. Well, that sounds great. Well, I really appreciate your time. It's, it's been great to Thank hear your you. story. And was there anything else that we didn't cover about either your business or, uh, potentially having a podcast that you think we should have discussed? I, I think we've covered everything. I really appreciate your time, David. Oh, well, my pleasure. Well, with that, let's go ahead and wrap it up. My guest again was Rhonda Ross, the founder of uh, Texas Living, uh, what, Texas Living Company. Yes. Yes. I'm sorry. I've got multiple pages of notes. So the owner of a Texas uh, living company, and if you're an agent in a situation where you don't get as much time with your brokers, you would like, you should, you should think about giving Rhonda a call. She'll let you talk to her other agents and get the, get the straight, straight, straight scoop on things. And if you're uh, looking for a realtor who's in it for the long haul, rather than just doing a transaction, I would also convince or, or uh, suggest you uh, reach out to Rhonda. Well, with that, we're going to wrap it up. And Rhonda, thank you again for taking the time to be on the show. It was really a lot of fun. Thank you. Of course.
All right. Have a great day. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. And there we have it. Another great episode. Don't forget to check out the show notes at www.podcastingstories.com. This podcast is brought to you by your podcast team. If you have ever considered having your own podcast, head over to www.yourpodcast.team to learn more about how they can help you. That's it for this episode. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next time.